This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 173 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Bruins have now lost 3 of 4. They lose to the Blackhawks 6 of 3 last night in Chicago. Um, birthday boy, Scotty McLaughlin. What are, your, uh, what, what, are your, what are your initial takeaways from that game? Are you, are you nervous at all? The Bruins Cup chances out the window now after a 3, three and 4 skid? First of all, uh, yeah, thanks for the birthday acknowledgement. Turning turning 25 today, of course. Oh, uh, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. No. Um, it's a fun birthday. It's a fun yeah, year. Yeah, I mean <laughs> uh yeah, this was this was an ugly loss. Like it's at some point you feel like pride has to kick in. You know, we've talked about plenty how these are gonna be some tough games to get up for. You know, they're not really playing for anything, like unless Carolina goes on a run and challenges them for the number one seed or something. Um, But you've now lost two in a row to non-playoff teams. A a Red Wings team that's sold at the deadline, yes, still has some talent, but is not a team that, you know, should be getting up for nothing on you. And then lose to the Blackhawks, who are competing for Connor Bedard in the number one pick. Like, that's that's just inexcusable no matter where you are in the standings, no matter how good of a season you're having, you know, I, not panicking, not saying like, Oh, Bruins are doomed. They ran out of steam. It's all over. No, but they had a really bad game against a really bad team and they should have been a lot better. Um, you know, I thought I wrote about this morning and just posted I thought the third pairing of Forbert and Clifton was especially bad. Um, they were di- really directly at fault on three of the goals where, you know, one Clifton kind of gives up chasing a guy in the rush. I, I think he thought and whistle was going to stay to the outside and he just went right to the net and scored. Uh, Forbert loses a battle in the corner and then kind of loses his guy in front of the net on second goal. And then, uh, Forbert just gets blown by by Boris Kachuk on the rush, and Kachuk rifles a shot past Elmark. I didn't think it, I didn't think Elmark played very good. I thought there were a couple of those goals he he should have done better on. So rare off night for him. That didn't help. The first goal, the f- first goal was definitely not characteristic of him. Yeah, that that was like the one hand kind of slided through the five hole. Um, so whole whole team put off. I thought. Like I said, the third pairing, especially. Um, but yeah, now now you see how they respond. Now they're getting, you know, the first team on this road trip that is a playoff team. The Winnipeg Jets is a team that's, you know, should be in, but it's still fighting. You know, they're not secure yet. So th- this will be a test for the Bruins. Like, let's see how they respond because they, I think they should be kind of embarrassed right now. You know, losing 6-3 to the Blackhawks when, 
you're on this record setting pace and you're the best team in the NHL like that. That should be a little bit of a wake up. That should, you know, get them pretty fired up. Yeah, they were. And it's not even that they lost to such a bad team that they're obviously expected to win. They just looked so bad. Like the whole game. It's hard to think of like stretches of like five minutes together where they didn't look like they were getting beat or beating themselves. Really. They turnovers were just atrocious again. Um, especially at the blue line, these blue line turnovers are just, you're setting yourself up to have to defend a breakaway. And on the, the Clifton one, like he's trying to defend, defend the breakaway and on Entwistle and he looks over his shoulder and like, doesn't even look at Entwistle for the last, like, like for like two seconds. And then next thing you know, he's, he's scoring and yeah, defensively they made some, some bad mistakes, but the turnovers really killed them. And then they end up, leading three to two at one point and then immediately every time they that they scored it felt like within the next minute Chicago scored right after so um any chance for momentum or like a lift just was instantly snuffed out I I feel like this is a reminder for people that all year they say well you know the Bruins have only lost five games in regulation all year or six or seven or eight. How are they going to lose four in, in a seven-game series? And I agree with that, but at the same time, you know, they've lost three or four, and I guess it's just a reminder of how quick things can go bad if you start playing with or stop playing with the with the strong habits that you've been playing with all year. Things happen quick in the playoffs, and I think my concern for this team is just finding that motivation to, to you know, the, there's been some injuries they're dealing with. There's not a ton that they're playing for in the standings uh, in particular. So are we going to, you know, early April can come around or mid April, whenever the playoffs start. And if it's just a reminder, if they don't have their, you know, their game where it needs to be, they can fall just like anybody else because it's just a different season. It's a different mentality. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the Detroit, Home and home, it was just kind of like a weird schedule. Um, I I don't know. They found a way to win one of them. Chicago, what's what's your motivation going to Chicago right now? You're playing a team, as Scott mentioned, is is in the in the running for the lottery. Okay, you're the fastest team in the 50 wins in NHL history. You're you're not going anywhere in the standings. Your your playoff spot solidified. What are these guys playing for other than other than pride at this point and to, and to keep good habits? And I just feel like that's why they're just playing uninspired hockey from what I see. And then as far as that Clifton forward pairing, you think you think part of that is just the tinkering that, that they've been doing on the back end with the seven-man rotation that they've kind of lost their mojo a little bit? Um, I don't know if it's that simple. I mean, look, everyone knew there was going to be some rotation and tinkering, so I feel like if you're in there, you've got to make the most of it. Like at, having a game off, you know, shouldn't kill like what Forbert and Clifton have had. Like they shouldn't have forgotten how to play together. Um, but in the in the nine, so I looked this up. In the nine games since the Bruins acquired Orlov, Forbert and Clifton have been together for five of them. Um, both have been rotated out twice now, so that accounts for the other four games. Um, the Bruins have been outscored six to two when they've been on the ice at five on five. They were on for, as I mentioned, three goals against against Chicago. You know, I, I feel like 
you can cite that if you want, like say like, oh, well, they're only playing every other game together instead of every game. All right, but you still have to make the most of it when you're in there and and they're not right now. And when you're talking, you know, I almost get it. Like if Bergeron, Martian, Pasternak, McAvoy, like if they kind of went through the motions for a game, it's like, yeah, those guys know where they are in the lineup. Like they know what their role is. There's... They know what they can do. They know the seasons they're having. You know, like that's that's where I could look and be like, okay, what are they really playing for on a Tuesday night in Chicago? But when you get down to those guys who are actually fighting for ice time, whose you know spots in a playoff lineup are up for grabs, that's where I'm like, what is happening there? Like, for so for Forbin and Clifton to have a bad game, whatever you want to say about chemistry or being disrupted by the rotation or whatever, like. Clifton giving up while chasing McKenzie and whistle back into his zone. I mean, that's, that's just like an effort thing, or, or maybe you just read it wrong. You thought he was going to stay to the outside, but like, that's not even like a chemistry getting disrupted thing, you know, forward losing a battle in the corner and then losing track of Joey Anderson, who I think had three goals all season, um, getting blown by, by Boris Kachuk, who I think also had three goals on the season. Like that's, I don't know. The, those are just like poor individual plays. And those are the guys who should be motivated, like should be motivated the most to keep up good habits, to keep up playing the right way because they're the ones, you know, actually fighting to stay in the lineup. So um, for me, like that becomes less the rotation or motivation or whatever, like that becomes less of an excuse for those guys towards the bottom of the lineup. And, you know, that, like I thought the fourth line had a fairly quiet game Tuesday night, but like those were guys who over the weekend, the last few games before this, you could tell they were motivated. Like you could tell Greer, Hathaway, Nosek, like those guys were playing. I think Trent Fredericks had a couple good games recently. Thought he had a great game yesterday. Yeah. Like, so those are guys where it looks like, like they get it and they're bringing it, even if maybe the top guys are, you know, hitting the snooze button a little bit. Um, Forbert Clifton, I, you know, I think they've had a tough stretch recently though. Yeah. Um, do you think at all guys that I mean, you, in a lot of, a lot of seasons and really this one, it hasn't come up all that much because they have not like, there hasn't really been like a peak. It's been like a, at the top plateau. Um, but you know, a lot of times people talk about peaking at the right time or, or, you know, struggling at the wrong time. Would you consider this if, you know, if this kind of extends out a little bit longer to be struggling at the wrong time, or would you consider this maybe a kick in the ass that they needed? Um, Cause sometimes, you know, there's still a month to handle this stuff at this point, obviously the rotating uh, and the t- game management, whatever um, is going to affect it a little bit. But do you think that, March isn't necessarily the worst time to go through some of this stuff. And, and hopefully Montgomery and say Bergeron, Felino, any of the leaders could just go, okay, well now like we got to cut this shit out. Like we, we can't, we have to make these adjustments. We're, we're not just going to cruise by every team. Yeah. I think it's better to happen now for sure. I mean, you mentioned you want to be playing your best hockey entering the playoffs. Well, they're not entering the playoffs right now. Um, so I guess 
alternatively, like the, right now, they could be having a great stretch of hockey like they've had all year and then have this happen, you know, two, two three weeks from now. And then you're kind of talking, uh, maybe it's a little bit scarier. But um, you, to your point, they have a month or so um, to, to kind of write the ship here. Um, I, do, I don't know if it's as simple. Hockey's a complex game. I don't know if it's as simple as just saying, all right, guys, let's turn it around here um, because there's just a lot of nuances to the game. I just feel like that they're lacking confidence in and continuity. I think there's a lot of mental lapses as well yeah. that are probably controllable, like on the turnovers. Yeah, I mean, turn, turnovers is is something that, you know, you should only have on Thanksgiving because it's not something that uh, really really should be in the game as frequent as it is with, in, with certain players in particular um, because that's all mental and that's just that's just – unintelligent hockey and that's preventable right um but yeah i mean you think back to the first time these two teams played earlier this year and it, it quite literally looked like uh you know this 1980 soviets versus the czech b team like the bruins just were literally in a league of their own against the blackhawks and i know the blackhawks were a lowly ranked team back then but they still are now and and you know so I don't know if that speaks more to the Blackhawks having a terrible day the first time they played or if the Blackhawks kind of just, you know, I don't know if they were motivated to, to kind of avenge that game but because it was pretty embarrassing for them. Uh, but I guess to keep it to your question, Bridget, yeah, it's better for this to happen now. And there is time for them to, to get back on track, obviously. Yeah, what's concerning for me, though, is like when it piles up now to f- four straight games now where they've had you know, basically taking off like long stretches of the game, you know, the, the one win in the stretch over Detroit on Saturday, they were still God awful for that first period. Like they, they finally woke up and ended up winning the game, but you know, there's now four straight incomplete games where they weren't even close to a 60 minute effort. And I think I would, I would feel a little better if it was like, one bad game and then they got it together the next game dominated you know cruise to a 4-1 win uh it's when it starts to pile up like this where, where you're like okay yeah it's still not panic time it's there's still time to fix it but you don't want to get too far away like you don't want to get to a point where you've gone a week and a half two weeks since the last time you really played well uh you know you you don't want to start stringing together four down games in a row. And again, they're going to be facing another really desperate team on Thursday in the Winnipeg Jets. If you're not bringing it, that could be five. Like it, you know, you look over the weekend, Minnesota, Buffalo, like Buffalo's kind of slipped out, but they probably still think they have a chance. Minnesota's right there. They've been rolling. Um, you know, like they, I want to see, it doesn't have to be, Two, two weeks straight of great play where they just dominate everyone. You know, I know they just had a 10-game winning streak. I'm not saying they need to go do that again. But can you give, you know, one 60-minute effort? Maybe two in a row. Like, just don't have these pile up. That's where I kind of get concerned is, like, the the more kind of lingers, the further away you get from uh, playing the way that you know you're capable of playing and know you have to play in the playoffs. I think the harder it becomes, like, to get it back because now you've gone a week or two since you really felt that. 
Do you think too, though, that like maybe not playing against playoff teams is making it feel not like it makes it feel not important and you also kind of played down? Like, say you I mean, put them up against Tampa Bay this week, you know, is it a different outcome? Maybe, but I mean, Edmonton's a playoff team and a potential a potential Stanley Cup team with the moves they made, and they took the second and third periods off in that game. So, you know, yeah, Detroit and Chicago, I yeah, I guess it's like harder, but I don't know. It, we're going to find out, you know, again, they have the stretch coming up and now Thursday, Saturday, Winnipeg and Minnesota. Those are those, you know, they're not rivals in your conference, but they're playoff teams out West. So we'll see if they get back on track for those, but I'm sure it's a factor. I, like, yeah, I do concede that it's probably tough for them to get up for non-playoff teams right now. But again, like, if anything, pride should kick in. They should be embarrassed that they've lost two in a row to non-playoff teams. Agreed. And and you know, it, it, and it's their job, right? It's their job to go out there and, and give it an honest effort every night. But uh, yeah, for for me, it's like one of the concerning things too is like all year the third period they've been the best third period team uh scott just mentioned edmonton like they obviously didn't play well in that third period against edmonton and lost them the game right they walk into that final frame up in the up in the game ahead in the score and they lose that game they just got outworked for 20 minutes to close that one out but then the detroit games they weren't they weren't ready to play so it was the first periods that were that were abysmal and then they woke up a little bit later and then Last night again, you have a three-two lead in the third period. You just shit the bed. So, um, what when they choose to kind of wake up and fall asleep has been very inconsistent. Uh, but Scott, to kind of play devil's advocate and, and Bridget as well, like, do you feel as though perhaps that having a, sl- a, a a consecutive stretch of poor play like this helps eventually drill home certain messages that you know, uh, we aren't unstoppable. We are like, we are human. We're not, we're not, we're not this automatic wind machine. Um, and, and it, and it helps kind of humble them a little bit as, as opposed to like having a bad game where they kind of pull off the win. And so they're like, you know, we, well, we won, or, you know, you have a bad game, you lose, you come back with a four, one, one, like you talked about. And it kind of just like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like this could actually be a good thing maybe because it could help just drill home certain things like while this it's not ideal you don't want to see this it could in the long run maybe be a benefit maybe that's what i meant when i was saying like slumping at the wrong or right time like this is a good time to get a kick in the ass (laughs) um a month out from the playoffs like and especially considering this season they've at times seemed like they were coasting um, and that they, like you're saying, they could win. Even there was even part of yesterday that I thought they were going to win that game. Um, despite, you know, I, we haven't even mentioned like Bertuzzi hitting both posts and the puck staying out and they called it a goal on the ice, but it never, it never went in. But um, like there were, and then like Pasternak gets a penalty shot and doesn't get a, an actual shot on that. Um, like there were chances in that game where it looked like they had been outplayed yet. You're still thinking, I might still win this. Like, like I mentioned, they were leading three to two at one point. Um, 
after if that goal had gone in from Bertuzzi, we're talking about a different game. Like we're and if you know Pasternak scores and Bertuzzi, like it, it even at times looked like they're still going to find a way to win it, despite being outplayed um, by a lesser team. But no, I, I agree. I think that that's how you have to look at it is as like a okay, wow, we don't want to be embarrassed. Like, we don't want to be this team going into the playoffs that's like the super team, best team that that Boston has ever had, you know, one of the best teams the league has ever seen in over 100 years, and just go out in the first round. How embarrassing would that be? So, like, maybe just a taste of bad, you know, just like a bad taste in your mouth. You don't want it to happen again. Um, it kind of – I feel like it's the right personalities on the team to handle it the right way. And you guys say like the pride, you know, pride needs to kick in. I feel like they, they do all have a lot of pride in, in not just beating, like not just playing well against teams that they know they have to beat. Like, I don't think that they do take their, they, or they at least wouldn't tell you that they wanted to, you know, treat any game on the schedule. Like it was like an easy win and, and whatnot. So I think that the pride is there. And we're, we're about to find out, I guess. But um, another discouraging thing was the power play. I feel like the penalty kill got more chances than the power play. I don't have the statistics in front of me. Um, but I just feel like, I mean, they they had higher quality chances on their penalty kill, which you should not be. <laughs> that, that shouldn't be what's going on. Yeah. Before I get to the power play, just one note on, on what you guys are just touching on like we have seen or heard Jim Montgomery now a couple times actually call out their effort, you know, work ethic after a couple of these games recently, which to Brian's point, like that's not something he's been able to do this season. So, and if he does that after one bad game, it maybe lands a little flat where the guys are like, come on, man. Like it's just one bad night. Like give us a break. Okay, well now it's been four, so he can say that and and it actually lands. Like there's actually weight behind it because they all know, like they know they haven't been good enough. So yeah, you can, you know, enforce some messages uh a little more strictly and know that you're not doing it just for the sake of, hey, I gotta try to pick out something, you know, for these guys to work on, focus on type thing. Like no, you can actually genuinely say this isn't good enough. This isn't up to our standard. Um, yeah, so on special teams, uh, I don't know. Like, the power play, I, I feel like a broken record. They need more movement. Like, it's there's too much standing around. There's too much, uh, both on entries and in the zone, they're just too slow. Like, and And I guess this kind of reflects their overall game that's, really kind of slowed down and doesn't seem to be in top gear, but obviously with the power play, it's lasted longer. This is now basically like a 20 game stretch. We're basically talking about a quarter of the season where it hasn't been very good. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's too much of the, the horizontal movement at the blue line, getting inside the zone and like standing there and closing on them. Um, guys just kind of setting up in their positions and not moving around. And I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know if they need to change personnel again to do some sort of shakeup, you know, again, I, I don't think it's Orlov's fault that like the top unit hasn't clicked with him there. I, I think 
he walked onto a unit that already wasn't clicking and turns out he wasn't the magic elixir that fixed everything, but I, like it's on all five guys on the ice. It's not just him. It was struggling with McAvoy there. If, if you put Lindholm or Grizzly there and everyone else is still not moving the puck and not moving their feet enough, it's still going to struggle. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what they need to to get going or how many. And that's the other thing. Like, they haven't had a ton of practice time with the schedule. They've, I think, they had you know two la- two full practices last week, um, but one was a day that Bergeron and Krejci were off. And I, I don't I'm trying to remember. I was there. I don't think they did any special teams work that Monday. So it was really only Wednesday. And now you get into another stretch where they're getting very few practices in on this road trip. So they have to figure it out in game and in video sessions because they're not going to get the on ice practice work where they can just devote 20 minutes to it. Um, But yeah, it feels like a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I think this, I think the solution is just to break through a little bit here and there and get some confidence going. I, I don't, Personally, I don't. I don't think Orlov is the guy there for uh, long term. Um, I had no issue with the experiment, but I mean, I feel like Lindholm is the best defenseman on the team at getting pucks to the net, getting pucks through. I would try him for you know, a cup of coffee, and if that doesn't work out, just go back to McAvoy and just hope these guys can figure it out. Because I mean, there's too much talent for them to keep struggling. I think ultimately, they're pressing hard, so just gotta just gotta break through eventually. And I think honestly, confidence sometimes is. Uh, is the explanation for a lot of things or lack thereof just depends. Um, Bridget, I feel like you mentioned off the top, uh, the, the, the first goal all Mark let in wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Either one of you uh, feels though there's, I mean, they have the best goalie tandem in the league, right? So if, even if one of them is struggling, chances are the other guy's going to pick him up. I guess my question is all Mark's round one game one start isn't, necessarily a sure thing at this point right i mean despite his season you know if he's struggling going into not that he has been struggling he's just let a couple weak goals and that he hasn't let in all year uh recently um but hypothetically if he were struggling going into the into the playoffs would you guys feel confident just letting him start round one game one based off of the uh macro scope of his season or are you playing it more on like a week by week basis like whoever's giving you the best chance to win you have confidence in both guys to put them in I mean, for me, Allmark is still the clear number one right now. So that's not in doubt to me. I mean, I think it's really just been one bet, you know, one off game Tuesday night and maybe, you know, another goal or two here and there. I didn't think Swainman was great on Sunday either. So it's not like he's, he had been rolling for a long stretch before that, but, you know, it's not like the most recent thing we saw from him was amazing either. Um yeah, I mean, I think there's still time for it to play out. Like, I guess if if Allmark hits a little bit of a prolonged skid and Swainman finishes strong, then then sure, I would go with the hot hand. But I think I'm still a ways from that. Like, that would still need to happen over, I don't know, a 10-game sample or something. Um, Which, as how it many games do we even have left? <laughs> yeah, at, at, as it is, I'm still very confident in Allmark, and I think he's – He's earned that start and it's not it's not too much of a discussion in my mind. Like I'm still probably 
75-25 towards Elmark. Yeah, I I agree. I'm not there yet, but it did. But the goaltending situation, it did come into my mind that like, um, basically, if Allmark has his normal performance in that game, we're not talking about a loss. Like most of the time this season, his performance has been enough for them to get away with wins, even when they haven't played well. Like we've alluded to a little bit earlier, and like maybe Clifton's lack of hustle on on the breakaway goal by Entwistle doesn't affect them and they're not losing like in their you know that they're, they're not out to such a, a a slow start and you're not losing by one after the first period but um he at times has bailed them out I think maybe they need to learn um how to play a little bit where you're not expecting like you you know how it is. Like when you have a, a goalie, that's incredible. Sometimes you play a little bit differently in front of him than when he's a rookie goalie. Like maybe you don't treat him like he's going to handle every single thing. And you know, you'll, you'll be able to cut down on some of the bad habits, I guess, defensively. Yeah, I agree with what you guys said about both goalies and Scott, you make a good point as well about Swayman had a pretty tough game in Detroit, that fourth goal, which ended up being the game winner in particular was a, I mean, that was just, very, very unlike him. Um, I was just more so asking the question because both guys have been so good this year. It's like you have confidence in either one, and it's like if one were playing significantly better than the other going into the playoffs, that that's kind of that was kind of the, the, the gist of my question. Less about you know the recent play, just more of a question in general. Um, did you guys have any other takeaways from this game in particular? Because there is some league news. I feel like that will affect the could potentially affect the Bruins in a positive way. Um, down the line, but if there's anything before we get to that from the game you still wanted to go over, now would be the time. No, I think um, I'm good. Yeah, I just I just thought that that third line was probably their best line. I that was really it. We kind of already touched on it. Frederick had a good game. Coyle played a strong game. Bertuzzi was right there, almost scored. Um, still probably could get more from him, but he did assist on that Frederick goal. So really that was the bright spot was third line. That's, that's all I have to say about that. So yeah, we can move on to some of the league stuff if you guys want. Okay. Also uh, on Bertuzzi, it was good to see him actually use a shot a bit. We mentioned the one at the double dunk off the post, but mm-hmm. um, you did have two other shots, which obviously isn't a ton, but it at least looked like he was taking a little bit more of a, of a shot mentality um, because he had had just five shots on goal through his first four games. And for a guy who had 30 goals last year and for his career has been a good shooter. I think his career shooting percentage is like 14 or 15%. Uh, you want him to use that. And, you know, I thought you at least saw a few signs in the right direction on Tuesday. And I also think like it would be good just to give him a few games running with, with Coyle and Frederick and not, I get wanting to move him around, see how he looks with different guys. Like that was totally logical. But now I feel like because he had maybe been struggling a little bit, you know, things weren't really breaking for him. Like now give him like a decent run on one line, let him get comfortable, let him kind of find his footing there, start to use a shot more. Um, I also thought Coyle used the shot a little bit more, which. It, now, given like I feel like most of his shots Tuesday night were kind of from the outside, which is a little different. But he had gone through that stretch. Like Nesson had the 
Nesson did like a montage of like three or four plays where he had chances like inside the dots and passed, and it was just like oof. Like he did, and he did does that, not look he, good. He did that once, at least that I can remember. Yeah. Um, against Chicago too, but then like the then like a few seconds later, he's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. I should probably shoot." Um, yeah, he's been doing that, and I think that just comes from the kind of player he is, uh, just more of a playmaker than a guy that should shoot, but he definitely has been in positions where he should have been the one shooting. Um, and you'd like to, you know, see that work for him, but that line as a whole, I thought had a, had a decent game. Um, and there was a scary moment where I thought Marshawn might've gotten hurt and that can kind of transition us into the league news that we wanted to talk about because, um, Andrei Svechnikov, had had suffered an injury and was going to get a second opinion to see if his um, season was going to be over. And it came out yesterday that he had to have season-ending surgery, and that is just such a huge loss for Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it, it potentially completely changes the conference. Like, mm-hmm. that Carolina team, we've talked about it before, how they play extremely well as a team but lack some, you know, some real oomph offensively at times. They don't really have offensive stars. He was, I think, third on the team in goals and and second and third in points. Like, he was about as close to an offensive star, I I guess you could say, like, as they had. And, And just beyond the points, like, he brings physicality. We saw what he did on the forecheck against Hampus Lindholm last year with a really hard, clean hit that can cost Lindholm. Um, now that's gone. Like they, so they lose that really kind of traditional power forward. They lose his offense. They lose the physicality, the forechecking that he brings. Um, again, like the hurricanes play great team hockey. I don't think this is, you know, completely the end for them. I'm not totally writing them off, but it's a big loss. And for a team that already, you know, sometimes struggles offensively, uh, it's going to be, you know, much tougher for them now. By the way, just to um, add, it was an ACL. So yeah. um, ACL surgery is not, <laughs> you're not coming back from that right away. So they've already announced he's out for the rest of the season. And it sucks for him. And I, cause I can think back to, the bubble where he was playing really good hockey and got hurt on a freak play with Chara. And, you know, people were mad at Chara for, I think it was like right over top of the net. If I remember correctly, um, he, that ended his season that year. Um, and I feel like his ceiling is really high. Like, I feel like we haven't seen the best of Andre Sveshnikov yet. He's only 22. And um, I just feel like every time he's really starts to get going, he has something like this happen to him. And, um his ceiling is is much higher than what we've seen and that's what makes him such a dangerous player to play against in the playoffs because he's he's big and we know what he can do but there's also a level to it of his game that I think he could even reach it in a higher level um so it's a huge loss for them uh that is I, I want to say worst case scenario for who you could lose. There's a few guys that if you lost them, you're going to be in some decent trouble. But Andrei Svechnikov is um, just such a, 
a presence for that team skill wise and size wise and even a little bit of a pest at times. So um huge loss for them. It it does change the matchup because like you guys mentioned last season, he was a pain for the Bruins to play against and it makes that team less dangerous. It, it, it changes their depth as well. It changes the way that that lineup has to look. Yeah. I mean, thank God they went out at the deadline and got some uh, user $10 million cap space to get some depth in case something like this happened. I knew that was coming. I yeah. knew that was coming. Well, it's true. I mean, they sat on their hands and that's what they get. I mean, obviously I'm not you know, glad somebody got hurt, but like, as from an organizational standpoint, like you had $10 million of cap space in a Stanley cup uh, aspired team. In season I end. was, I was, yeah, I was told that they're just a really cheap organization and they don't want to, like, they won't pay for like, and that's one of the reasons why Rod Brindamore waited for them to confirm that all of his staff would come back before he signed his contract because he doesn't trust ownership and like that he just thinks they make decisions that like the, the decisions they make, make his life harder. Um, And to have to work with what they give him is like, he's, he's trying to work with, less than what other teams get um, because of the the cheapness and the ownership that's there. So it's, you're right. This is exactly why the Bruins added, say, a Bertuzzi. They could have used someone like that. Well, And they also lost Max Pacioretty, too, earlier in the year. So, which I mean, they already probably, knew. Which they already knew at that point that right. the deadline was there. Which, which, which made their, their trade deadline and lack thereof just that much more baffling. But now it's like, I mean, as it pertains to the Bruins, you take away the best player. I think the best all-around forward, at least, you can make the argument for for Aho, but I mean, just because of the physicality he brings, we saw it firsthand last year, and the fact that he was 22 blows my mind. I thought he was at least 24, but um, I know I just here just looked it up. Yeah, 22. You, you take you take that guy off of their team. That's that's the biggest. You're taking the you're taking the best offensive all-around player on Carolina, who's offensively challenged anyway, and the biggest threat to the Bruins. You're taking him off that team. So if the Bruins end up playing them in the conference finals, if the Bruins can take care of their side of the bracket, I mean, I, I think it's a bigger injury than if they got somebody hurt in the back end because I think Carolina's defensive depth is so much better than their offensive depth that they could have weathered that storm, no pun intended, a little bit better. But Ajo goes out and – or no, uh, Sveshnikov goes out, and that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. So uh, it's huge news for the Eastern Conference uh, contenders outside of Carolina. I mean, it's huge news for them too, but in a negative way. So um, was there any other uh, league news you guys wanted to hit on before we – before we jump off. No, nah, I don't think I, Steven Stamkos got banged up on Saturday, but it doesn't sound like that's anything serious. So everyone's kind of dealing with these. Obviously Carolina has the most devastating one now. No one's Svechnikov is, is out for good, but everyone's kind of dealing with these little injuries. And yeah, I think a lot of these teams that know based more or less like what spot they're in for the playoffs. It's like, just get to the finish line. Just, have guys back by game one, um, which is obviously what the Bruins are hoping for with Hall and Felino, where, you know, it sounds like they're going to be right around that time, you know, maybe miss like a couple playoff games, but. I would like an official uh, statement about it at some point from someone like from the team, not just from like the background reporting that's been done. It would be nice to like actually hear it from someone else that like someone that knows <laughs> from the team uh whether or not that reporting is accurate yeah i don't think we're gonna get that though like i think i said this before i think they're just gonna leave it open-ended and more or less leave people guessing like they obviously know they obviously know internally and i think i I think emily cabin's probably 
getting her information like from someone who would know, which is why she had something resembling a timetable. Um, but I also think like if you're the Bruins and you're like, oh, yeah, they're expected back, uh, you know, four weeks from now, whatever. Like people are going to do that math and be like, oh, well, that's convenient. So like just for the start of the playoffs. So I think when you leave it more open-ended, it's, you know, hey, they're just going to come back whenever and, you know, they'll pop up on the ice before practice or at practice one day. And, you know, all of a sudden it's, well, that, that's when they were cleared. You know, we didn't we didn't know they were going to be back for game one type thing. When's the last day of, like, the amount of time Hall has to be out for? The end of the LTIR. Um, probably coming up in, like, the next week or so. Yeah. That, because, I don't know exactly. Yeah, but... it's before the end of the season, so. Um, yeah. Anyway, could be interesting if he comes back right after that. <laughs> um. But I do think he'll probably be out till right about. Was the last game of the season April 13th against Montreal? Um, that sounds right. 13th yeah. or 14th against Montreal. So that still gives us another month here for those guys to get back. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I don't think I have anything else around the league. I, at least I'm not thinking of it right now, guys. But it is our anniversary our two-year anniversary from when we took over the podcast, um, which is crazy because it doesn't, like, it simultaneously feels longer and not that long at the same time. Like, I feel like we've been doing this for more than just the last two seasons. <laughs> um, and, like, a lot has changed. Like, now we are we have a video component of this. Like, if you're watching this on YouTube, we just started doing that. Um, things have changed quite a bit. Um there's been a more of a focus on podcast material for the station and whatnot. Um, but, it, but yeah, happy two years guys. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, it's, it's, you know, perfect. It's perfect to have my birthday in this anniversary lineup. Like just makes for, for a great day. Uh, I'm going to celebrate by, uh, I don't know, doing some snow cleanup because we actually got snow in Lowell. I guess oh, no snow. Yeah, I guess like Boston and Celtic City got nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, con- con- congrats to us. And, and as always, thank you to everyone uh, who listens because it has also grown in listen- listenership, which is exciting. And, you know, we like hearing from you guys. We like emails, tweets. Um, yeah, obviously a very exciting time to be doing a Bruins podcast during a historic season. Makes and our life easier. Yeah. The, the playoffs are going to be really fun. Like this is kind of the stretch where it's, and we sort of knew this would happen where, you know, you get past the excitement of the trade deadline and all that. And now it's like, okay, what are they really playing for? What's like actually important right now? So I think that's part of why, you know, we, we kind of make so much of like, Oh, they hit a four game struggle. And it's like, you know, we're not trying to have hot takes or anything. I know there are people on radio doing that, but it's like, we got to talk about something. And right now the something is that they're struggling and they're not playing the way we know that they're capable of. I echo everything you guys said. Thank you everybody for listening. Two years has been great with you guys. Longest relationship in my life. So it's been great. (laughs) Um, all right, so the Bruins play tomorrow night and then Saturday. So enjoy the game tomorrow. Hopefully they write the ship. And if you guys have nothing else, we will talk to you soon.